The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship. Bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all around the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. We are privileged to have on the program today Vincent Wagner, who serves as senior counsel with the Center for Parental Rights at Alliance Defending Freedom. Welcome, Vincent. Thanks for having me here, Greg. Glad to be here. Listen, I, you know, what, you, what um, the center talks about doing, its main purpose, its stated goal is to safeguard parents' rights to direct the upbringing, education, and care of their children. So my first question to you is, who would be against this? Yeah, you know, like a lot of things like that, the, the devil can be in the details. And so that's what we're finding in, in the cases we're having to bring is, you know, at a high level, I think everybody would say parents have that right. But it's a question of school sometimes saying, especially, you know, maybe not here. Right. Well, okay. So in this case, then you're, you're part of a case, DF versus Harrisonburg City Public Schools. Take us through that case, because this is one of those things where uh, the school board is basically saying, you know, parents uh, will make the decision, not you. Yeah, and that's right. That's, that's the core issue here is the school board, rather than doing what it should be doing, which is supporting parents and making these decisions for their children about, you know, education, about their kids' identity, those sorts of things. The school board has a policy that is cutting parents out of those decisions. And so here in this case, it's about gender identity and sexuality, where the school board has started implementing a policy that requires teachers, when they hear that when a student says that the student would like to be treated as the opposite sex, the teacher has to do two things. Number one, immediately start treating that student as the opposite sex. You know, the, the big thing is generally names and pronouns in that situation. Number two, the teacher's not allowed to tell that kid's parents about what's going on in the classroom now. And it goes a step further than that. It actually requires teachers to continue using the student's given name and the student's correct pronouns when speaking with that student's parents, even though the teacher knows that at school, the student's going by a name and pronouns to go with the opposite sex. So the flashpoint is forcing teachers to participate in this, but it's forcing teachers to push parents out of the picture. So in this case, we represent a group of teachers and a group of parents. Some of whom, One of the parents is actually also a teacher in the school district. So it, it, it presents both sides of the issue here. You have teachers saying, you know, our free speech rights, our freedom of religion, we can't participate in this. And the, the Virginia Constitution here says you can't make us do that. And the parents are saying, you know, as parents, we have a right to be involved in these important decisions about our kids' lives, and you can't cut us out of those decisions. So what age group are we talking about here? Yeah, so this, this policy applies to the entire school system. Um, our <laughs> teachers here, are, are one of them's uh, an elementary school teacher. They're in Yikes. middle school and high school. So, you know, it, it's across the entire school system. Well, and that's, I guess, 
I, you know, I almost don't know what to say about this sometimes. And I think one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on, I know you're very busy and you're going to have to go pretty quick here, but we wanted to have you on because we wanted to let parents know, you know, this stuff is in the water. It's not, it's not just in this particular school district or that particular school district. It seems to be bubbling up all over the place. And my first question, if I was a parent, would be, when did we flip from uh, a school had to call the parents to give to administer an aspirin to my child to now where we hear about uh, they're taking kids oftentimes even to abortion clinics and now we're even hearing that they're they're not only uh, participating in this gender transition but they're willfully deceiving the parents uh, about what's happening with their children it, it, was there a point in time where we just missed this or is this just something that now is is kind of rolling downhill you know, it's been brewing for a couple of years. I think we've we've gotten over the last couple of years uh, a lot of a lot of questions from parents, kind of hearing all over the country rumblings about these sorts of policies being implemented. Um, you know, we we first joined a law we we filed a lawsuit along with the Wisconsin Institute uh, for Law and Liberty will in Wisconsin against some school districts there. I think that that was uh, in 2020 when that was initially filed. Uh, so, you know, it's been a couple of years brewing and it's been across the country. And, and I'll say this, it's picking up steam because now the Biden administration is getting behind these sorts of policies. And this is one of the one of the issues that you'll be seeing coming down the pike via the new regulations under Title IX and the, the rules that apply to sex discrimination in schools where the Biden administration is saying that these sorts of policies, you know, teachers forced to participate in uh, treating kids as though they're the opposite sex, you know, maybe even cutting parents out. Um, but those are coming as, as part of a federal mandate. Wow. So, you know, folks, again, when you vote, uh, this is the kind of stuff we've always said, vote platforms, not people, because the platform and the platforms of liberty are those that honor the parents' rights and responsibilities, obviously. But education seems to be one of these areas um, where not only is it getting murky, but since, you know, we saw this in the pandemic where if the school board decided we're going to shut down, we're shut down. It didn't matter what the parents thought, didn't matter what the children thought, didn't matter what the science was. And and we were sitting there going, you know, can you see how this can become a dangerous situation uh, where they have total control of your children? Um, well, you know, when you talk about this particular case, then what are the ramifications? I mean, you know, you're basically you just said two things, I think, that are very important. Uh, teachers don't want to do this, too, because I would not want to willfully deceive a parent, especially if I thought that it was the wrong thing to do uh, personally as well. And then obviously parents who say, hey, that's my child. Are you going to be there on Saturday night? Are you going to be there on Sunday when they're crying and they're struggling? No, you're going to be back home in the safeness of your house having uh, set this upon my child. What are the ramifications, A, if we lose this case, um, and then I guess, B, if you win this case? You know, it really is. It, it's about the stakes of kind of who gets to make these sorts of decisions for kids, because, you know, Children are children. They need adults to help them make decisions and guide them through lives. So, you know, the adults and kids' lives are going to be helping them make these sorts of decisions. So it's about who's the primary decision maker. And, and the presumption has been and should be that it's parents, especially when we're talking about something sensitive like mental health care, like sexuality. You know, in some other cases, we've got cases about, say, you know, race and racial identity, but parents should be making those sorts should be involved in those sorts of decisions in their kids' lives. And it shouldn't primarily be the schools. 
And in this case, it definitely shouldn't be the schools making the decision without even consulting the parents. So I think that's really what's at stake is what, who gets to make these decisions for kids and whether or not schools are allowed to cut parents out of these decisions. And I think you sent a letter uh, early on uh, before, I think, the, before this became a case. And I think when I read in that particular letter, one of the things that you cited was a physician who talked about, listen, if you enable, especially prepubescent children in, this, in these kinds of things, these things which tend to work themselves out after, after puberty, if you, if you enable that in, in the life of my child, you bring way more problems into their life, not less, generally speaking. And, and again, then they, but they take no, they bear no responsibility to that. What is their argument? Yeah, so we're just now starting to get their responses, kind of the stage of the case. Um, okay. You know, so we're, that's still a little bit in flux. But, you know, as to your first point about kind of like the experts, you know, it, it's pretty clear that kids are better off when their parents are supportive and helping them make decisions like these. And one thing you do hear sometimes in these conversations is kind of, you know, that this, this kind of using a different name, dressing differently, that sort of thing. It's kind of downplayed. But experts in this field agree that this is a kind of medical treatment that the schools are engaging in. It's not just kind of, you know, let's try this out and everything will turn out fine. This is actually medical treatment. And so the schools don't really have any business pushing kids into this particular medical treatment without consulting their parents. Well, especially we all know that when we were growing up, peer pressure was huge. Peer pressure was never really to do the right thing for us. It tended to always do the, be to do the wrong thing. Peer pressure is huge at school. And if your, if your teacher is not in that sense reflecting the role of the parent, that, that, you, that they're an authority figure that, that tamps this kind of stuff down, who knows what the ramifications uh, to that could be. And I think that's one of the things that parents are really starting to worry about, which is, am I sending my child to school to learn things or do they think that my child is is like their patient and this is therapy now what would i mean at this stage of the game you say we're early on in the in the process um what what's coming next for this and i know you've got some other cases around the country what does it look like on the horizon i you said you think that there's kind of a wave of response is it because parents are finally waking up to to what's going on with a lot of this stuff yeah you know as to the kind of this wave We've, we've talked with parents and there is a lot of, you mentioned COVID earlier, and there was a lot of that when you're doing distance learning, you really get to see what's going on in the classroom. We've heard from a lot of parents that were surprised at what was going on in the classroom, right. to be honest, kind of in, in this sort of space. And so I think that, that that is driving some of the responses. Parents, you know, are hearing this, you know, in, in, in this case, you know, the, you have a policy that's actually trying to deceive the parents. So they don't, they didn't necessarily have an opportunity in the past uh, to know about this. Right. Um, but th- we do have cases going on elsewhere. You know, I mentioned the ones in Wisconsin that we've got. Uh, those, those are a little farther along. They're kind of getting in to the case seriously. And in Harrisonburg, we're at the stage where we've initially asked the court to block the school's policy while the case goes forward. Okay. Um, and we're hoping for a good decision on that. Maybe sometime this fall. You know, even if we win this case, the question I always have is, will they abide by it? Uh, how binding are these things? Because I feel like parents are starting to realize, wow, they have our money. They actually run the curriculum and, and we can protest against the school board, but they don't really listen to us. And it, they got to do as they please. And a lot of times they don't even tell us. 
So even if we win, you know, tell me what you think would happen if we win. Is it something where it could actually start to put a firewall against some of this stuff for the sake of parents around the country? Yeah, you're you're right to kind of highlight the different aspects of the response here. I think that litigation is a piece of this and it's important. And, you know, victories in the courtroom are wonderful. You know, we saw this summer with something like Dobbs, how important that can be. That's the Supreme Court's abortion decision from earlier this summer. Um where they overturn Roe versus Wade, right. uh, but but it's not the whole it's not the whole piece. There's a there's a culture shaping aspect to this that you know is important to us at ADF too, where we want to change hearts and minds on these issues, along with shaping kind of courtroom victories. So that's important to us, and I think that's an important thing for parents to be thinking about as well. Kind of you know when they talk to their their friends and neighbors about these issues locally, you know school boards are controlled at the local level. They have right. they have the opportunity to to vote in those elections. They have the opportunity, you know, if it comes to it, to run for a position on their school board and try to see things change in a positive direction. You know, it doesn't have to stay this way. They can influence the school board to respect parents' rights, I think. Well, and I, you know, I appreciate that, too. Uh, like I said before, I think because I've read and I've talked to many, many educators in the public system who are just as frustrated. I mean, it's not just the parents who are frustrated. There are a lot of teachers. Like you said, you represent teachers uh, on these things, too. And I guess what I struggle with is all parents want to do is they want to have their children raised and educated in a moral, ethical framework that reflects their values. And, and, you know, we've seen even in the pandemic, science, science doesn't come valueless. Uh, and, and, and science can be manipulated and used all different ways too, because science just tells us that something is, it doesn't tell us whether it's right or whether it's wrong. So you just said, get the parents ready for this. Maybe they can be more a part of this. They can be a part of the board. They can do all these things. Is this something too, where school choice finally is, is the logical extension in the, in the milieu that we're in? You know, when, I think what I'll say on that is, say, the families we represent in Harrisonburg, you know, it's a piece of this case that they, they're they saying to the court, that's just not an option for us, that we need the public schools and we rely on the public schools to, mm. to help us educate our kids. Um, and we shouldn't have to sacrifice our religious beliefs. We shouldn't have to sacrifice our role, you know, our, in the religious upbringing, because, you know, that's part of the court, the Supreme Court cases on parents' rights recognize that this is part of people's religious duty to bring up their children. And what these parents are saying is that, yeah, some people can go to Christian schools. That's great. It's Mm -hmm. not on the table for us for various reasons. So we shouldn't have to lose our rights in order to take advantage of the public schooling option. Well, and I guess I want to be clear on this too. Um, A moral education, there are a lot of religions and even ethical, secular people that I know who hold very similar moral worldviews um, to the kind of worldview of the Judeo-Christian worldview. So again, sometimes people put us in this box like we're enforcing our religion and our moral views on things, when in, in reality, I would say this is one of those times where the I think this will be one of the arguments that these are minority students who feel out of place and we have to respect their rights. Well, you know, we're talking about 1%. You know, if that, maybe a little bit more now that it's becoming, you know, avant-garde to actually become a person who changes their pronouns. But we're now saying to the 97 percent, no, you're 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 going to these are the values of education. Isn't isn't that what's really part of this lawsuit? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. That that the parents are saying these ideas about sex and gender, they're mm-hmm. they're not something we can agree with as Christians. The teachers are saying the same thing. We can't agree with these things. We can't promote them by participating in this in the classroom. And uh, the parents are saying we they're saying we shouldn't have to send our kids to a school where you're pushing these ideas that you know, are contrary to our religion, our, our, our ideas about parenting, our ideas about morality and sexuality, that we shouldn't have to sacrifice those to get this public education. And, and this is, this is the school's viewpoint on these topics. There are already, you mentioned there are some kind of settled court cases on kind of teachers, college professors, and these sorts of settings. And the courts say, you know, this is a viewpoint on a contested cultural issue that the school is taking. The school can't force that viewpoint on teachers. And then what we're saying here, by extension, you can't force parents out of the decision about how how that viewpoint is forced on their kids. I think you're right. And I think one of the things that we see happening in, in our work on this is it's to obfuscate, not to clarify, because, you know, the he, she, they, it's all rooted in something that is bigger than you. So you are he because you're biologically male. If you go to the doctor, they have to, they still have to look at your cells because your cells react to medicine different than the cells of a she. And that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's, that's medicine actually doing better for men, better for women in this whole egalitarianism. And then obfuscating whether you're they or she, which means are you a part of a group or are you a singular person? These were all meant to actually be more specific and help me understand that I'm talking to you. So like you're saying here, there's an, there's an obfuscation going on. And then for the school to participate in that, uh, this can't be a good thing. Well, listen, we are... I know we're almost out of time with you. So how can we be more supportive of your efforts? Is this something where people can go find out more about this, where would they go? Yeah, ADFlegal, ADFmedia.org, but the two different websites that you can learn all about our cases, you can click through to the parental rights cases on those websites. And, you know, as far as supporting us, you know, prayer is powerful and, and we would we covet your listeners' prayer in, in these cases and all our cases. Great to have you on, uh, Vincent, today. And we look forward to talking to you after you win the case. Thanks a lot. Take care. And now I'd like to welcome back to our program, Tim Gagline, who's the Vice President of Government Affairs for Focus on the Family, a good friend of the LCRL. Uh, welcome, Tim. Great to be with you, Greg. Well, what did you think about that conversation? Very powerful. And Focus on the Family very strongly supports both Alliance Defending Freedom and the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in this matter. It, it, it is very crucial that we go back to first principles. And the first principle that focus on the family is that parents are the first teachers and they have the principal responsibility and the principal blessing and honor to be raising their children in the way that they feel is best. And uh, as was made so clear by Vincent in your conversation with him, Greg, just because children go to school does not mean that somehow that parental authority or responsibility is ipso facto severed. If anything, when our children go into the public square, into public schools, other public institutions, parents do not constitutionally somehow give up those rights. And unfortunately, in the Harrisonburg case and too many troubling similar cases around the country, that's the practical effect. And you know, 
uh, Tim, one of the things that I, and I'm really struggling with this because I, I get letters even not a lot. I wouldn't say it's the the bulk of our church, but I get an occasional letter saying, you know, we are way too concerned about these things. These things are not as big a deal as we're making them out to be. And I, frankly, it shocks me because and and the typical answer, a typical argument is because if we fight for things like parental rights, we're getting in the way of our testimony of the gospel in the culture. And I, I first of all, I don't know what kind of gospel is a generic gospel that doesn't isn't uh, dealing with the repentance of sin. So if you can't proclaim honor your father and your mother, I don't know that you can proclaim the gospel to someone who's repentant. Who's, who's, you know, not honored their father and your mother. So again, just getting out the Ten Commandments now seem to be these mean spirited words of God that we're supposed to somehow overlook. But it really bugs me when they think that defending this fundamental and not just right responsibility, parents are going to be held responsible by God himself for what they do with their children. Yeah. yeah. So again, talk to talk to our church, talk to our people, and and say again, you know, this is not only our responsibility. Uh, proclaiming this stuff is part of being a Christian voice in the culture. You know, at Focus on the Family, Greg, uh, one of the most powerful parts of our ministry is our help desk. This is the place where twenty four seven fifty two parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, people within a family who have a real concern can call focus on the family and say, I need to speak to somebody about this issue or that issue uh, regarding family, marriage, parenting. Here's what is genuinely sobering, and I might say even shocking, that one of the biggest trends that we are hearing at focus on the family is parents and grandparents who phone our help desk and say, and I'm giving a variation on what we hear regularly, my son or daughter, my grandson or my granddaughter came home from school today and they asked me, am I a boy or a girl? That this issue came up uh, in the classroom, that there was a discussion uh, about human sexuality, uh, by the way, often at very young ages, and that not reconfirming, or if I may say affirming, the worldview of the parents or grandparents Unfortunately, there is a license being taken where there is no objective reality, that there are not uh, the biological male and the biological female. And uh, uh, it is an issue which is profoundly confusing and hurtful and has a very deleterious effect on a young person when they go into uh, a classroom and, and a teacher or a counselor which, you know, by its very nature, affirms authority, the right. best kind of authority. And, and of a sudden, their whole world is turned upside down. You know, that, that, that's not objective, uh, Greg. What that is, it's, it's actually taking a side in a culture war, and it is undermining the role of, uh, of parents and of the family. Well, the sexualization, you know, that's what uh, DeSantis did down in Florida. He said, this is grooming stuff because these kids that are being taught this stuff, sometimes you're talking about second, third grade. You're talking about very young children. And we know scientifically how long it takes for the brain and for the body to work through these things. And they're introducing this confusion at such a young age. We don't need these activists, and I think that's what we're starting to see in school, these activists who say, no, we're going to sexualize your children. 
and and we're going to dare you to stop us. And that should be troubling, like you said, not just to Christian parents, that should be troubling uh, to parents throughout. Um, this is a, a, a new form of, uh, of theology. Right. Uh, but it's not, it's not brand new to the contemporary world, but it's a newer iteration of what at one time was called moral relativism, right. situational ethics, that there is nothing that is objectively true. There's no right and wrong. There's no male and female. There's no such thing really as parental authority. And, uh, and so to, to frost uh, young people and to make uh, those kind of incredibly important distinctions foggy at a young age uh, is a moral relativism uh, gone amok. Well, Tim, thank you very much for being here with uh, us today. This is the Back to School special. Folks, you got to be aware of what's being taught to your children because that is one of the ways that you can keep them close uh, to the Lord and close to your family. So thanks for being with us today, Tim. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 